Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podsite, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo, and uh, I am, of course, joined by the full compliment. Uh, hello, fellas. How are you guys doing? Hey, I'm doing Carlo. great. I'm okay. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> two greats, and uh, I'm okay. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, and today we're going to be discussing, uh, we're going to be revisiting uh, Bradbury because um, for our next little Augusta Geddon uh, uh, entry, we, we I wanted to talk a little bit about his... Um, his story, There Will Come Soft Rains, which is a very, very, very lengthy story, clocking mm -hmm. in at about, what, what was it, fellas, uh, like five pages or something <laughs> like that? Yeah, five, eight by 11 pages, too, so. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Um, and, and to be honest with you, like, um, uh, one of the reasons uh, I wanted to talk about this one is because, weirdly, it feels very much like... Um, a, almost like a companion piece, not exactly, but the house feels yes. like a companion piece to the Velt house. Yes. Yes. Uh, I had, I feel like in retrospect, we could have done this as one episode. I don't know that we need to, that, that we need that it would have been improved. Like I, I actually think we'll probably have a, have a nice conversation uh, mm -hmm. uh, about this one that will, you know, fill the length of the episode, but uh, it could easily have been uh, a double header. Also, I just want to say uh, soft come will rain. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you for that, Kurt. Uh <laughs> will soft rain come there? <laughs> All right. That's, that's, yeah, my, that's my cue. <laughs> All right. So, um, so, um, had anyone read this one before? I mean, Pete, I'm going to guess that you did. Yeah, I have. Okay. Chris, I, I, I think so, but it's, if I did, it was, you know, I was in like, you know, middle school. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. I'm pretty sure that I didn't. Um, and if I, but if I did and forgot, I wouldn't be surprised. And mm -hmm. I will get on. I, I will. I will get on that describing why that is the case at some mm. point. Okay. Excellent. All right. So, um, I mean, this is a pretty uh, straightforward. Like it, it's. I, I don't know because it's a, it's a weird story in the sense that it doesn't really have a protagonist in the classical sense of things. There's no human beings in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's basically just th this house. Yeah. It's uh, one of the, one of the, 
the the classic conflicts house versus nature. <laughs> uh, right, right. Uh, a house comes to town, um, or you know, a house leaves home. Hey, you know, maybe the house decides to grow stranger. Um, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, like this actually starts off like basically an itinerary of the different stages of what the house does and this is like a like a a mid-century idea of what a smart house would be so it's got like you know like the go ahead oh i was gonna say it's it's pretty accurate Mm. honestly like like as you were no doubt about to say it's like very like you know it, it makes the breakfast at a certain time it tells you what the weather is of the day it wakes you up it it you know it it reads you your favorite poem there's a roomba at, at bedtime yep. there's a roomba although they're very overcomplicated little mice robots but I, I mean it's fairly accurate for like what you would want an automated house to do and what we've been trying to do uh especially lately um so I think it's uh, apart from some 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 affectations. It's pretty, you know, mm-hmm. it's pretty correct. Mm-hmm. You, Although you, it it does kind of talk to you in like a gee Willikers, Mister Fla- Mister and Mrs. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> Featherstone. Featherstone. Uh, yeah, I think it's Featherstone. But uh, anyway, so the. It, it it may it really reminded me of um some of my favorite uh of the Looney Tunes cartoons where it was like the house of the future mm-hmm. and uh it would have all these like you know silly uh contraptions that would do stuff like this like you know shave shave you on your drive to the to the office <laughs> and, and then you know of course there'd be potholes and stuff like that but do you remember uh, the one cartoon where uh is it Donald Donald Duck wants to get his his temper under control. And he orders like a, a machine that like taunts and and harasses him, and the goal is 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 for him to like keep his calm, and so it keeps doing like like exactly what you just said. It's it's like a home automation thing, but it's like fucked up and like 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 annoys him on purpose. So like it goes, you know, here's here's your clothes for the day, Mister Duck, and and it you know like like uh, gives him a wedgie and like pulls the shirt like over his head and shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great man. cartoon. I forget what it's called, but it's it's wonderful. <laughs> you, you're 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 making me think of like a probably non-existent goofy cartoon where uh, yeah he he is in fact in the house of tomorrow <laughs> and just ends up like being bundled up into a little ball. Oh you know, yeah, like knotted up. <laughs> you you made me remember something. This is this is a little bit of uh uh. What do you want to call it? Like uh, a little bit of factoid DLC from an episode that we already dispensed with. But you mm. mentioned Goofy. Uh, I I realized that I forgot to mention that um, one of uh, I I think I think like the little kid uh, from Robot Jocks who's like oh it's Uncle Achilles he he's the voice of Max uh, Max Goof or Max goofy or whatever his name is from uh, goof troop <laughs> excellent anyway excellent. so anyway Kurt, back um, to this episode that that cartoon is called cured duck cured duck thank you it's uh, it's so great it's so good <laughs> yeah because i mean wh- who doesn't want to watch donald duck lose his temper over yes. and over again <laughs> Um, so, uh, uh, by the way, uh, Chris, it's the McLellan family who are, you know, uh, the, the, uh, Sir McLellan will not be appearing in this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Because of other reasons. Where the hell did I get Featherstone from? (laughs) 
I'm not sure. <laughs> See, uh, well, Carlo took a minute and reread the whole story while yeah. we were here. <laughs> Shh, Pete, why are you giving people the... <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I, I'm just saying it's not 40 pages. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so it, it, it does actually go through like this itinerary of like, you know, the, 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 the breakfast. I, I do really love how, um, you know, like, like it, it's, it's not trying to, uh, get in its own way. And there's lots of little, uh, like almost comical little things that are tragic in once the, the story starts unfolding and revealing exactly what's going on. Because, like, for instance, you know, like, uh, what is it? The to your point earlier, Kurt, uh, is it like the 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 living room? The voice saying "tick tock, seven o'clock, time to get up, time to get up, seven o'clock," and you're like, that would be annoying really yeah, quick. Yeah, I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I already curse and berate Alexa. I I don't mind. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it admitting because it has some very annoying features. Like for instance, like if you if you ask it like to set an alarm, it will often be like, "Do you want to set this alarm for every day?" Like, no, no, stop asking me. I <laughs> do what I told you. <laughs> so, yep. so I, it's just me abusing the computer. This is a computer. I would definitely be like, "Stop doing that. Stop. Never say TikTok again." You're 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 doing you're doing your part to uh to bring about the 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 rise of the machines. Yes, me, me and uh, Donald Duck. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is it is annoying. But at the same time, it's like you know, it makes these eggs. It makes like eight perfect perfectly browned uh, pieces of toast, and so on and so forth. And then um, what is it like later on at eight o'clock? Uh, it basically like the eggs are now rubber, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, the toast is just inedible, just like completely hardened. Uh, and it, it just scrapes it all into the, into the sink where it's like washed down the drain and, and, you know, for the next, for the next, uh, you know, the next station of the day or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, th- there it is at eight thirty, the eggs were shriveled and the toast was like stone. <laughs> So I, 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 I do love that. It's like, yep, that, that, that's exactly what would happen if you, you, you just left your breakfast to sit there on a plate for an hour and a half or so. True. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so, uh, essentially we, we go through the day, you know, and at nine fifteen, all the little mouse robots uh, come out of the their little cubby holes and clean up all the dust and use their mm-hmm. little whiskers, and it's all very cute. Yes, okay, you can almost hear the dun 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 dun. dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Uh, what was it? Was the name of that? I always forget the name. Powerhouse. Of I, I think it's powerhouse. The name of it. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a real like mid-century innocence to some of this that I, mm-hmm. I think I think is a is a useful buildup that if you had a more you know uh, Star Trek computer esque affect to it would would make the story less effective um, mm-hmm. because that that kind of like goofball aspirational you know G like I said G Willikers Mister uh, Mister McClellan like like it kind of it it. It, it it has a nice contrast with where the story goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, I mean, it, it sort of starts getting into it where it's like, you know, at 1015, the garden sprinklers uh, turn on and it's, we get a glimpse of the outside of the house. And it's like the entire West face of the house was black, safe for five places. 
Mm-hmm. Here, the silhouette of in paint of a man mowing a lawn. Here, as in the photograph, a woman bent to pick flowers. Still farther over, their images burned on wood. In one titanic instant, a small boy, hands flung into the air higher up. The image of a thrown ball, and opposite him, a girl, hands raised to catch a ball, which never came down. Which, you know, obviously immediately brings to mind like the <laughs> the shadows that are like yes. burned into concrete mm-hmm. in uh i forget if it's probably in both cities uh nagasaki and hiroshima yeah um which is you know this is no big surprise here folks it's a five-page story i can't really spoil it that well um you know this is the reveal of the story it's, it's basically this the house has basically yeah. survived a nuclear I, blast i think for me, this is where the story should have ended if it were written with with 2022 eyes. This is where mm-hmm. the story should have ended. And I think that's purely uh, that's purely because it's such an evocative and now obvious image that mm-hmm. I don't think it would have been quite so much in 1950. Like, like you kind of have to grade this one, I think, on, on a curve a little bit, but. Speaking purely subjectively, I would have been very happy if the story ended here. I would have been like, damn, that was good. Um, mm-hmm. And I struggled beyond this point, I have to admit, because I was like, okay, I understand what the story is about now. Um, so that was what I was concealing earlier, which was I didn't terrible like, I, I, I respect the story, but I don't know that I like it. <laughs> mm. The opposite of uh, Napoleon and uh, Josephine. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean I I don't know I think that the uh, the introduction for me the introduction of the the family dog that manages to get inside and is like really I don't know man it 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 messes me up I don't know about you but like the fact that the dog is able to survive somehow the nuclear mm-hmm. blast and still die within the house because the house isn't designed for really right. I think that that's the thing that that hits me every time i read this story the house for all its amenities is not really designed for life right yeah it's designed for convenience (laughs) and sort of like this this perpetuation of a system that no longer exists Mm -hmm. yeah definitely well and and i think it's i think that's where the connection with um the, the nuclear blast comes into because it's you know both are you know, log- you know, logical endpoints of our, you know, drive for technological advancement. And one is like to, uh, you know, but both somehow like nullify our humanity. Well, one in a very literal, like, you know, bl- blasting us away sense. And the other mm-hmm. in like taking away all the like the quotidian stuff that we have to do day to day that just you know, makes us human is like, everybody has to get up and eat breakfast. Like, you know, like, uh, and I think that's the connection is that, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's a through line between both of them. They're, they're not, you know, separate, like separate lines. They're not separate tracks. They're, 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 you know, both logical endpoints. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, totally. And, and like, yeah, I, I like a lot about this story. I just, I, I, I felt like it, that, that what we just discussed should have is like the emotional the like the big reveal and so it it should have come later if you're going to write that today to t- today i don't know that that's necessarily the case in in uh, 1950 but yeah 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 i mean so uh essentially you know 
the, the poor dog manages to get it, get back in. Uh, he, he's sort of like scratches and scrabbles and whines and the house doesn't know what to do with them. So it just doesn't feed him. No one, no one pays attention to the dog and he dies inside the house and is then slowly, uh, cleaned up by mm. the, the Roombas, the, the little cutesy mouse Roombas suddenly take on a much more sinister, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, sort of like image because it's like, oh shit. So what, what did they do exactly? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there, there's a nice emphasis, I think on the disposability, um, mm-hmm. that really comes through and is really very prescient, uh, in a description of the 1950s, right? In, in 1950, like, like as, as early in the 1950s as could possibly be the 1950s. Like, like what I, I think is very forward looking about it is that what, what Chris said, the way that the quotidian day to day is to be aspired to with like culturally, but is not actually life itself, mm-hmm. right? Like it yeah. is, it is the affectation of, of, of life. And, and yeah, like the, the dog dying and just being disposed of is really kind of an indictment, not just of, you know, the consequences of nuclear war, but, but of like the, the inhumanity of those basic trappings of, of technology and of kind of the, the whole rocket age suburban lifestyle where it's like mm-hmm. here's here's all the nice stuff but without life it it isn't life it's just things and mm-hmm. that is very forward looking mm-hmm. um so so props props for that especially it's very good on like an like a conceptual level yeah, yeah. well so many stories from uh let's say before the 60s just to draw an arbitrary line are shockingly filled with hope by my standards. Like there's so much science fiction out there that just sort of blithely assumes that humanity is going to spread across multiple galaxies, right? Mm -hmm. The eternal man, endless opportunity. And one of the things I really do appreciate about Bradbury is that he takes the time to, to think about the worst. Yeah, definitely. He's got a, um, he's got like a, we so I did an episode a while back with uh Connor um about uh the ocean at the end of the lane um mm-hmm. which is a Neil uh, a Neil Gaiman story mm-hmm. um and I said that Gaiman at his best reminds me the most of Bradbury because he does that kind of like taking taking a reality like a basic what should be a positive depiction of life and finding like the darkness within it and kind of twisting it enough that not, not, not in like a Stephen King way where it's like, what if there was a spider monster that came out of the dishwasher when your mom was doing the dishes? Like it's, it's not, it's not quite as overt as that, but he, he, they, they both surface that kind of that underlying like creepiness uh, about normality and about what, what should in another writer's hands be like, like positive and nice. Um, and I, I really do admire that about Bradbury, especially in this time period. Like, like, like you were saying, Pete, like there's so much that just takes for granted that like, well, every, everything's going great. So we need to imagine something different to imagine it going not great. And it's like, no, it's, it's 
not really going great, actually, if you take a step back and really look at it, but not many people were. They were very focused on the stars, and someone like Bradbury was focused on on the home and on the ground and on what that means about about us and less so about, you know, sh- shiny rocket ships. Well, I think that that's I think that that's really his his focus, right? Because he is he's saying, you know, like here we have we have a per- perfect example here. We 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 had uh, also in the Velt, you know, like the these ideas of like these bright, shiny, futuristic trappings, right? The 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 stuff that that we think would look like the future, right? Um. And he's saying, yeah, that's all well and good, and, and that'll all work, but what exactly, you know, like, basically, he, he's not really writing necessarily, like, evil people, or even venal or vapidly, you know, like, uh, self-serving people, but just people. And just this idea of just the the quotidian shittiness of you being selfish or, um, you know, or just the fact that if you get a bunch of kids in a group, they're going to eventually find someone to, to sort of taunt and bully a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and that's going to fuck someone's day up. Yeah. He, he finds the small faults that cannot be resolved by the positives. Like, like that, that no amount of superficial positivity can can paper over and he takes that little crack and zooms away in on it and and shows how that causes the 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 whole thing to crumble much like the reliance on on technology in the velt where it's like well y- yes technology can make a lot about our relationships with, with other people and our existence much easier but it can't uh, it can't ultimately cure you know the condition of modernity it can't it can't cure the alienation that we feel from from our purpose and from from other people that will remain and technology will merely heighten it and i i think you see the same thing here where it's like that that pursuit of 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 superficial per- perfection um instead of you know peace or wellness or you know existence um, that that pursuit of the superficial taken to its logical conclusion doesn't actually amount to anything if the underlying sickness remains. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I think I might have gone down this path the last time we did a Bradbury story, and if so, I apologize. But this really made me think of Simac and Simac stories about people uh, having agoraphobia and not being able to leave their smart houses. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, City is a series of his short stories that are like a. Is it okay if I go off? I'll be two minutes tops. No, go for it, man. Go, okay. go. Just come back when you're done. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. See ya. Um. So City is a collection of his short stories, and they take place in sort of a shared world. But if you look at any individual one without looking at the one before to what the one afterwards, you're like, what the fuck? What does this have to do? with the story two stories ago. And so like humanity dies out in like story number three. Mm. 
And, you know, as you go up, it's the rise of like ants and dogs and, you know, it just, it gets wild. But oh, those so phase fr- four. All right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Ants, <laughs> yeah. ants and dogs is, is just any, uh, Anytime we try to record about a story with ants in it. <laughs> yes, indeed. But uh, I mean, the, I guess the, the point I was going for here is that the idea of the the smart home being the determined protector. And I, I believe that the rob- a robot is the face of the house at that point. And it, it knowing that it's supposed to protect and maintain a certain set of, of, of conditions, but not really seeing the bigger picture. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like the loyalty and the certainty and the, the, the pattern is more important than the point. Well, there's a nice point to, to, to your point about, about the, the not realizing is it does indicate a certain degree of sentience later on in the story. I say later on, it's the next page um, where, you well, know, so dude, that's so, a quarter of the story. Exactly. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, yeah. I mean, it's much later in the story. So, you know, relatively speaking, um, where it says, you know, on on the like it it had it had proceeded without hitch until that day, and then it says like basically like, that that was when the house realized that something was wrong. The same time that the dog realized that something was wrong, and so it is giving it this this basic intelligence and saying that like uh, there 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 is like a like a pathos towards like the dog is now without purpose and is helpless and the house similarly is without purpose and and, and is is uh you know likewise helpless and it's it is that kind of like life without man angle so yeah that what you just said is my second favorite thing about this episode so far my first thing is the phrase that carlo used quotidian shittiness which i'm going to use going forward <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I, 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 I Pete, do you, have I told you I write once in a while? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> myself, I only wrong. Oh, there you go. Oh, and I left. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, what do you guys make of the the poem that's? kind of in the middle of this that gives the, the story its name <laughs> I, I think i think that bradbury was being paid by the word <laughs> <laughs> well i mean so so the poem is uh was written by sarah T- teasdale um i believe it was uh just after the start of the 1918 german spring offensive during world war one dur- also during the flu pandemic of the mm. same year oh and it's supposed to be like if you'll notice the poem itself is a series of sort of uh coupled rhymes that have one thing in common yeah humanity no is not present in right. any of the uh, of these uh rhymes at all mm-hmm. yes and so you know the it is it is a, a rather poignant uh poem in and of itself, you know, like well yeah. Go go, ahead. go I'm sorry, go go ahead, Carla. No, I I just uh, like it, I, well, I just yeah. do love that that, that first yeah. line is it's, in fact the title of the Yes. Of the it's school. good. It's and you know it, it's interesting because uh it's it, you know, it's you read it and you're like, Oh well this is very on the nose. This is just like what's going on in this story. But then 
if you think back, the the, the house itself chose it, quote unquote, uh, at random. So I, I, I think possibly, you know, there's the, the idea that the house is like, you know, saying, you know, let me just read this poem because I think this is what's going on here. <laughs> no, no, no. It doesn't choose it at random. It says uh, this is a, at 905. A voice spoke from the study ceiling. Miss McClellan, which poem would you like this evening? The house was silent. The voice said at last, since you express no preference, I shall select a poem at random. Quiet music rose to the back. Sarah Teasdale, I, as I recall, your favorite. Mm. So it does pick it out at random, but it also was <laughs> Mrs. McClellan's favorite. Yes. The there you go. The algorithm said, oh, I, I, I noticed that you were searching a lot about um, funerals and death. <laughs> People who search for funerals also liked Sarah Teasdale. So I, I liked the poem, and in a, in some ways, I like the poem more than the story. Um, it, 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 it is, it, it is like it's kind of an issue to me where it's such a short story, and the poem is so good that like, like I read it and I was like, okay, I'm not going to look this up yet. I'm going to imagine what if Bradbury made up Sarah Teasdale because I don't know anything <laughs> about about poetry and made up this poem. In which case, I was like, "That's fine. This is really good. It's quite a good poem." But when it, when I confirmed that it was in fact an actual poem, I was like, "Well, that's kind of that's kind of whack, uh, honestly, a little bit." <laughs> like I'm going to take a really good poem and put most of it in my, in my story. <laughs> I think he put it's, all it's of about it. one. It's about one eighth of the length of the story. <laughs> he put all of it in there, and, and I'm I'm also guessing that because well, you know, there there wasn't any like copyright uh, issues with that, so he's like, "Fuck it, just put the poem in yeah. there." Fuck it. So um, I, oh, go I, ahead. I, I'm going to make a story that just contains the entirety of "There Will Come Soft Rain." <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys uh, do you guys know about? Uh, uh, Blaylock and Tim Powers and the poet they invented. No. Oh well, like that. I, I you could see where I, where I started thinking about it. They they invented a historical poet named William Ashbless, and <laughs> uh, actually the what, one of uh, there's a story called the Anubis Gates by powers which sort of deals with his backstory and life history but they 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 put out a, a a series of poems by him and make references to them in their works and stuff and so like the you know the idea that that Bradbury would just invent a poem a, a poet's tests on the fly did not give me pause because I've got this example fresh in my mind <laughs> yeah, and I mean he's a he he he's a great prose writer when he wants to be. He's not always trying his maximum. Mm -hmm. Um and, and and so it was entirely plausible to me that he just like wrote his ass off for a made-up poem in the middle of the story. Yeah. But 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 again, I came away from this more impressed with Sarah Teasdale than with uh uh than with Ray, than with original Rays. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I mean, it is, it is a, I mean, it really is an evocative poem and, and it really does what it needs to do. So, uh, yeah, bums I, me I, out. I don't know what to say. Well, mm. yeah, I mean, but at the same time, like, like, you know, I, I, I could also see him like reaching for that poem or, or using that poem as the jumping off point for this entire story, which is, you know, basically, this is the end point, you know, this is nature without man, but then this is also 
uh, man has obliterated nature at this point and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that I, I suppose he's trying to do something clever here, but uh, I do agree with Kurt that the, the poem itself is probably a little better than the, the rest of the story. Yeah. Never. It's like that thing with movies, like never the, remind the somebody MSC, of a better movie. Yeah. The MST 3K <laughs> rule. Don't, don't yeah, ever yeah, remind me yeah. of a better movie. <laughs> so, I mean, um, and and I mean that that's basically the 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 house at at this point basically uh, ends up catching fire by itself. Mm-hmm. A tree um, falls over, and uh, it it we don't need to know if it makes a sound because it causes a fire. <laughs> there you go, and uh, and that basically sort of like pretty much kills the house uh, as well. So yeah, it. Ends with what is it? It's just repeating the date over and over again. I liked the point where it kind of describes the way that the the fire moves through the house and like more mice come out. There's this thing with like gaping mouth robots that that start spraying gray uh, mm. green fire suppressant foam on it, and then eventually the, the the fire causes like the the computer brain that controls them to blow up. And in like a in like a a, a a shrapnel explosion of brass, um, and that made me think of the uh, the what are they called the Kodamas or something from uh, Mononoke. Oh right, right. Uh-huh. Mononoke, the, the 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 weird little little head clicky clacky guys. Um, made me think of that, but spraying foam everywhere. It was it, like I liked that 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 part, the kind of like personification of the fire. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I was kind of like, I feel like Bradbury is like, I need to get two thousand more words out of this, <laughs> <laughs> or fifteen hundred more words out of this, as the case may be. What else can happen when a when a building falls over? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, it it. Yeah, it goes throughout the the rest of the house and like the the the, the little nursery room, which again reminiscent of the Velt because it has like the little projected, yep. uh, you know, like the yeah. the, the jungle <laughs> animals bounding off into the distance as it as it uh, you know like the 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 projectors get burned out yeah. and whatnot. This um, came out about six months before the Velt did, by the way. Um, interesting. It, it, the, so there's actually an even shorter version of this. The version that we read is is like an excerpted version from the Martian Chronicles, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a one-page version that ran in uh, Collier's, um, which was a magazine that was extant at the time. Um, does it have and, the poem? Uh, I'm not sh- I, I think it does. I think so. If if that's the case, that's very funny. It's um, a good, fortune good cookie. Question, <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like if you did um uh what's it called uh ozymandias but you you only wrote the part about you know as i was traveling in the desert i came upon two lot you know two vast and and uh trunkless legs of stone and, and then you just quoted the rest of something else <laughs> um but yeah uh so i took it, the road less traveled by yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um but yeah there's, there's an even shorter version of this as well. I forget why I started on this tangent. I apologize. Because of the Pulitzer uh, oh. notes, if I'm not mistaken. No, 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 no. I, I was not ready to get to that. I was going oh, to. okay. My mistake. I Although, now that you brought it up. No, no, no. Um, 
I, I actually have a question. Do, do you? Oh, 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 what I was going to say originally, sorry, I've been drinking, hmm. is um, it's clear to me, uh, given that this came out in May 1950 and uh, the Velt came out in like, I think like December 1950, uh, hmm. that Bradbury saw a smart house thing. It was like, damn. <laughs> my life like a movie <laughs> you know? I just wrote a bunch of smart house stories um and and got two of them published because there are, as you say carlo there's parts of it that are very similar like the parts about the nursery and like this you know the the the, the like kind of like jungle savannah veldt if you will um environment um my question is do you guys prefer this story or the veldt i hmm. prefer this story Hmm. I think I prefer the Velt. Honestly, like I, sadly, we're we're you're asking me while we're recording about this story. I do love a lot <laughs> of the, um, like I I do love how sort of, even though this is the longer version of it, like how, uh. Sparse, a lot of it is. Um, even though you're like, you know, the stuff that we talked about before regarding like what we know now versus, you know, what, what would have been known at the time and, and how you would end it and what the big reveal would have been and so on and so forth. But, but I do enjoy a lot of the sparseness and like almost a, he, he's trying to sort of mimic the, 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 like a little bit of the po the the poetics of the the poem that he's you know putting into the story but i i don't know i feel like the velt uh, is able to explore like a little bit more of what exactly it's trying to do um mm. and this feels very um Uh, maybe it's just simply more experimental in 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 a way, right? Uh, and and that's what's bugging me about it. I don't know. I believe in this story in a way that I don't believe in the Velt. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean that's the 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 biggest reason this one's more attractive is that like I like I could see this happening to your prime house. Whereas, whereas the Velt, I mean, I, it's not quite fantasy, but like the the um the the holodeck room where where you're eaten by by leopards doesn't doesn't have the same punch to me as a, a devastated landscape with a house keeping keeping the the you know making pancakes for someone who will never return Chris, what do you think? So, uh, tiebreaker. I, I, yes. Well, I, I, I missed the Velt episode. Um, so I did not, I, I think I've read that story again, again, a while ago. Um, but I, I think if based on my recollection, I think I'd prefer this story as well. The, uh, so I, I agree with Pete. Um, I think it's conceptually just, a, a much um neater piece like it, it's it, as a whole it works much better f it, it works for me like it's just you know it's it's one idea that's just done very well um and i think there's there's some more um thematics as we that we've you know par parceled out and um so i i, I think i th i think i would choose this story well, I'm going to unbreak the tie and say I'm with Carlo. Um, I think the Velt is a much better story than this. I think that, I think this is a good story. 
And I think it was it was an incisive story at the time. But in terms of reading it now in 2022, there's there's no question to me. Um, I would only ever recommend this story as like a a historical piece to get a better understanding on like the viewpoint of the time. I think there's so much in the Velt that is still relevant today as we grapple with the way that technology integrates with our lives that this story just comes across feeling pat to me often at times where it's like, yes, nuclear war bad. D- definitely. And that and the way he was describing nuclear war and bad and the way he was looking at modernity was was very, very insightful and incisive. But uh, having read the Velt, this feels like a rough draft of it where he just went in a different and better direction. Like I really struggle like I I really struggle with the fact that I've read the Velt re- reading the story. And I'm like, man, like to me. That story is better written. The prose is stronger. It's got a. It's got an aspect of the surreal to it, where this just feels real. And well, I, also, I, I I would say I was just just going to say that uh, I would I would say that the the Velt also includes a little bit of the Gothic in it, mm-hmm. yeah. which is what yeah. what is the mm. uh, it, it is the discordant note, but yeah. it is the discordant note that makes it stand out yes. to me. Yes, exactly. I I feel like I get this story too completely. Whereas the Velt leaves me, I, I've said this before, I like stories that end on a question mark instead of on a period. And this story is like, yep, I got the point of the story. And that that story, I'm like, I've still got more to think about to to understand it. Pete, I think you had something to say, man. Yeah, well, I mean, like some of the reasons you like it, uh, you you prefer the other one is are exactly why I prefer this one is what it comes down to. That I have the correct opinions and you not We're going to now have a struggle session on air, folks. <laughs> Indeed. About who has the correct opinions about what. No, no. Uh, I, no I mean, no. and, and I, I don't know if it's differences in outlook or whatever. I certainly agree with you that the prose is better in the felt. I mean, like conceded, but I, that element of the surreal in the Velt, which you're embracing, I sort of reject for the type of story it is. Like it, it just it doesn't it doesn't feel uh, like it should be there. It doesn't feel like it advances anything except yeah. you know the the cleverness of the author. And th- I'm not being dismissive about that because Bradbury's really fucking clever. He deserves to show it on on paper, but he is. But sometimes I feel like he panders a little bit. Do you ever get that impression? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like 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 he's writing down to the audience, and he's like, "I'm going to make this a little stupid." So that you get where I'm where I'm going with it. <laughs> I, I, honestly, that's how I feel about a lot of the Martian Chronicles, and and I know that is like everybody's favorite thing by him. And like I like it, but there's a lot of those stories where I'm like, yeah, we 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 get it. You you understand what the Twilight yeah. Zone is, you know. My favorite Bradbury story is the one that I increasingly think I imagined about the yearbooks. I've told you about this, I'm sure. Um, and I'm just going to mention on every Ray Bradbury episode that we do where I swear to God that I read a Ray Bradbury story in like fourth grade uh, about a man who's like on vacation in this like beach town and he's killing time while his wife is shopping and he wanders into this this like used bookstore and he goes to a section that has old yearbooks and he starts fl- flipping through it and he realizes he recognizes every face in the yearbook, even though he didn't go to that school. And he realizes that there's, there's only like 30 something people in the world, but they, they just repeat over and over again. Um, hmm. I, I have, I have yet to discover the actual name or providence of this story. 
Uh, for so for the moment, it's just a Ray Bradbury story that I have imagined. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to make, make the same response I think I made before, which is this is kind of a Farscape episode. <laughs> like at one point, he makes it home, and like over time, he starts to realize, okay, the 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 guy running that ice cream thing was the person who sat behind me in math class, and that girl over there who was talking to me was actually a a, a, a trap traveling salesman who knocked at my door and da 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 da. And so finally to break the false reality that's puts put around him, he runs into the women's bathroom, a place he's never been. Hmm. Which huh. was, it was kind of interesting. I that's need to clever. see Farscape. Dude, Farscape fucking rocks. Yeah. Farscape is awesome. <laughs> it's got that that, that that cool music that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good. It's a good. It's a good show. It's very strange. And it knows when to for, be cheesy, and it knows when to stop. It, which is a good combo. It does. I'm always up for some, uh, you know, Muppets. Uh, oh, Henson. Fuck yes. <laughs> Muppets in space. We love our Muppets. Some, some saucy Muppets, you say, sir? Yeah. So, anyway, uh, soft rains. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Pete, I agree with you that I think we just like different things about about yeah. different stories and. Um, I think part of it is probably that I didn't. Okay, I'm not negging you. I'm not negging you. That's good because we're, we're not going to have sex, dude. It's fine. I, di- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't grow up during the Cold War, mm-hmm. um, and so I view nuclear war in a very different way from you do. And uh, from 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 you do me me look different in. Deep book, read word different. Way past look, you live longer. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that we just have different perspectives on sci-fi. It reminds me of when I talk to my dad, and I talk about how uh, for a long time I didn't like yes because the production was too clean and polished, and I was like, I like when things have like a slightly shitty sound. And he was like, No, I grew up with the shitty sound. I hated the shitty sound. It was great when things sounded better. And I'm, and I'm like, No, I don't like when things sound good. I like when they sound bad, like old things that I grew up thinking of as old. Um, and, and so I, I think it's just like, yeah, like you said, I, I think we're just we're just prioritizing different things in the story. Um, but but yeah, if if I hadn't read the Velt, I'd be like, Damn, that was a good story. Um, but it's too hard for me to get past the you know the fingerprints that I see on both and, and being like, like it's too hard for me to put them to not put them side by side. I think the, the reasons reason. you like the Velt more are not reasons that make me think you're insane. I mean, it's just, we're, we're just coming at it a little differently and, and yeah. you're, you're probably right. Like the, the cold war does have a real formative effect on anybody my age. So like there is this old movie called the day after that came out in like 19. Yeah. Yeah. The day after. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which by the way, the epicenter of that was Lawrence, Kansas, about 19 miles away from me. Just a little mm. side note there. But <laughs> when I saw it, that watching that for at least a three week period was the most important fact of my life. Because yeah. like, it was going to happen. We were all going to die. And like, I watched it last year, the year before, because I thought maybe it should be on the show. And I'm like, well, this is a made for TV movie. Like it just didn't, it didn't have the same punch as it did anymore. Yeah. There, there's a, I think that for me, the nuclear war stuff in this has a hauntological effect that it probably doesn't for you. Um, mm-hmm. where, where like I read this and, and I'm like, this is an old way of looking at nuclear war that I've only ever looked at from afar. 
like like when I and I, I get some of the same when I read like 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 on the beach or Canticle for Leibowitz, sure. where it's like they 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 devote a lot of effort to exploring stuff that to me feels trite because mm. it I I encountered them fourth and fifth hand, right? Like for instance, the imagery of the uh you know the the like flash burn silhouettes when i read that i'm like all right i've seen this a billion times this is this is like a daffy duck joke at this point yeah um and and it has no real resonance uh for me and and i'm obviously you know you were not alive in 1950 and so it's not like you you know it's not like you have the contemporary the story viewpoint but um I think that I'm just I'm just vibing on on another wavelength that yeah. is not quite the same wavelength. And so the stuff that lands for you doesn't land for me and vice versa. Probably some of the stuff that lands for me in, in the veld that that discomfort with like, what the fuck is going on? Like I grew up right like like between literally between the time when when I was growing up and between and when I graduated college and was like, I am a grown up now, uh, technology seemed like it took over the world and made everything not make sense anymore. And so I read that and I'm like, damn, it, it is like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like me for real. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I uh, let me know when we're ready for a palate cleanser, because I, I think one of us did do something today that I think we should briefly talk about that was cool as hell. Mm-hmm. Can I can I complain about about the Pulitzer Prize? For yes, this? yes. <laughs> okay, so um, in 2007, I gather the Pulitzers gave a like special recognition, not like not like an actual Pulitzer, but like a like a special recognition citation uh, to Ray Bradbury. And as part of it, they wrote up this little like like article talking about like the importance of of, of his work. Um, and uh, they talk about the Martian Chronicles, and they talk about there will come soft rains in it. And as I read it, I was like, "Wait, they, 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 they got like basic details of a very short story wrong." Like, like I, I don't want to like ba- bag on the guy who wrote this because he seems to love the story, and that's you know, the, g- g- you know, great. It's 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 you know, it's a pretty good story. I'm not saying that I think it's not good. It just doesn't quite land for me, but I can see that it is good. Um, and he, ta- he he says, for instance, that uh, abandoned during the war, an automated house endowed with features reminiscent of today's smart homes continues to prepare food, wash dishes, and announce birthdays. But eventually, the rain of uh, the, the the thermonuclear you know rain of fire and timber manifests, and he seems to think that when the house collapses, it's because it got nuked directly. And that the the family merely abandoned the house, which mm. uh, no 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 they did not abandon it. Quite the opposite, <laughs> uh, they were there right to the end, uh, as as evidenced by their shadows. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe he's still out there, and he thought that they all went to a nice farm. Upstate. Yeah, he all yes. <laughs> <laughs> you've, 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 you've broken yeah. you've broken his heart now. <laughs> this is the prequel to Fallout. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I, I like. I don't know if maybe it was as like maybe he's trying to like not give away the conceit of the story. I, I'm not sure, but I, I mean, I feel like if you're the Pulitzers and you're writing like a little thing about a four page story, you should read it closely enough to 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 get what happens in the story. Hmm. Considering there's only like three things that happen in the story. 
<laughs> in real time. It's like a dog dies, the house falls down, and uh, breakfast goes bad. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that sounds like one of those those puzzles, like a bell rings, a man dies, and a bell rings. You're supposed to figure out what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I said my piece. I was, I was just reading that because, by the way, oh, the reason I found this is because uh, uh, the, the the Wikipedia article about There Will Come Soft Rains um, makes a big deal about how uh, Bradbury alone was looking at at the possibility of human extinction from nuclear war. I'm like, mm, no, that's not really that's not really the case at all. Even in 1950, that's that's not the case. Now, granted, like a, a lot of the big works in that genre came out like two or three years later. Like, I think I think on the beach was like 53 or like 52. Um, but that's that's just not correct. So when I saw one thing that wasn't correct, I was like, let me click through. Let me click through. As my teacher said, don't trust Wikipedia. Let me not trust it and click through. So anyway, I just wanted to gripe about one of the most prestigious, uh, you know, recognitional bodies uh, operating today, um, getting, you know, m- minor details wrong of a a lesser Ray Bradbury story. <laughs> yeah. they, they needed to be taken down a peg. Thank you, Kurt. Yeah, everyone's going around like, those Pulitzers are so good. And I'm like, Pulitzer, I'm more like P-Ulitzer. So. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, Pete, you said that uh, you wanted to do the palate cleanser. Yeah, well, I, I, I suspect I know where you're going with this. Yeah, I, I was just wondering if if uh, one of you would volunteer to regale the story of the nefarious Greenbeard the pirate. <laughs> oh, Greenbeard the pirate is a mighty, mighty warrior of the seas who, who goes about hiding his treasure on small uninhabited um so <laughs> <laughs> i could just talk like that now um ap- apologies to uh, uh any irish comrades out there for the harm <laughs> i am doing to your language and culture <laughs> what i realized is that so okay um i have been talking about pirates with uh my girls uh who are three and six for a few weeks now and they keep asking me like are pirates real? Are they around now? And I'm like, well, there are pirates now. They're not like the romantic pirates who go R and stuff. Like there, there are pirates. They're not in R. this area. There are people, but they're they're more likely to like take people hostage and ransom them back. You know, like through the embassy or something, <laughs> or say I am the captain. Um, and, uh, and and I was like, but you know, there there were pirates. They I'm. I'm trying to convey them the idea of like things were true, but now they've moved on. And like some of the stuff that we, some of the stuff that we fixate on in childhood, like dinosaurs is real, but also isn't real anymore. Because Um, they're chickens now. They're Hmm. chickens now, or they're lizards or whatever they have. Yes, exactly. Um, So I decided that I would take advantage of the fact that I live by a river with a large island and that I have recently purchased a kayak uh, to to set up a treasure hunt uh, on the uninhabited island uh, in the Delaware River. It's it's a lot. It's a big island. It's it's got like a large lake uh, in the middle of it. Um, in fact, it's like it's bigger than the width of the Delaware in most places that aren't right here. Um, so this morning, before work, I paddled over to the Del- uh, over to Burlington Island in my kayak, and I hid uh, a couple of boxes of quote unquote treasure. Which in this case are a series of snacks in one box, and then in another box, um, a bunch of like uh, that like gold and silver wrapped uh, chocolate, like mm. like the, the the like weird Americanized uh, 
Hanukkah gelt. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and uh, I put that in a Tupperware along with like two little toy dolls. Um, and I hid them. And while I was doing this, I recorded a series of vlogs from Greenbeard the pirate as he walked around the island hiding his treasure, um, leaving clues for my daughters to to find. And then this evening, I showed them uh, as Greybeard walked around the island and talked about you know little kids and and landlubbers uh, trying to steal his his treasure, his treasure. So, um, come on, say after me, Lucky Charms. After me, Loki Charms. <laughs> now, wouldn't that be a much more aggro cereal? Hearts, stars, and horseshoes, clovers, and blue moons, mateys. Um, and uh, I'm going to have no voice by tomorrow. Uh, and so tomorrow morning, we're going to get up at high tide and, and paddle over to Burlington Island. And we're going to walk around and they're going to find our find their treasures. And uh, God willing, the, the hot sun and the 92 degree heat today won't have melted all of the coins into a giant mass that now contains the dolls. But just in <laughs> case, I'm, I also have backup coins and backup dolls that I will uh, hot swap out. <laughs> in case that is the case. <laughs> the chocolate horde. <laughs> oh, the sun, the, the burning heat of the sun. This drives me mad. This melted me treasure. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Um, I mean, I, I suppose we could go on with uh, the further adventures of Greenbeard, but uh, we could serialize it over several episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, Kurt we'll can tell us some more up. about it. Um, but yeah, uh, I suppose that that is about it for uh, this one, right? Uh, I don't think that we have any extant stray thoughts, dirty limericks, or anything like that that. Uh, we needed to get out before we uh, we wrap it up. I'm good. Okay, excellent. I'm set. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, wait, wait, no, oh, no. I oh. have one very small thing. I liked that he referred to the furnace in the basement of the house as as a a ball. ball. That was good. Yeah. I liked that. That that was a nice little touch of like weird mysticism and the occult. So that was good. Excellent. All right, so uh, folks, just uh, go ahead read the read the story. It's five pages long. It's not very long at all. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll probably link it uh, in the show notes. And uh, thanks for listening in, and for uh, and for all of you uh, reading it as well. So, catch you all next time on Podside, folks. Bye. <laughs>